Okay, I'm delighted to say joining me right now is Brian Alvarez of f4wonline.com slash wrestlingobserver.com Does many audio shows throughout the week. Wrestling Observer Live, of course, Monday to Friday and Sundays. Wrestling Observer Radio with Dave at least three times a week. Brian and Vinny Show, Brian, Vinny and Craig Show, and of course, Granny as well. Um, one of my, oh, figure four daily with Lance Storm and uh, figure four daily with uh, Filthy Tom as well. Did I, did I cover all the bases there, Brian? You're asking the wrong guy. I think so. <laughs> so I appreciate you uh, taking the time out to talk to me because we did a Zoom call a few weeks ago uh, for the uh, fight game podcast that Garrett does and we do a book club and of course the book for last month was the death of WCW I want to sort of get into that book a little bit but I want to sort of go back a little bit because obviously everyone talks about the end of WCW I want to sort of talk about the earlier days on this show if that's okay with you so I was sort of thinking what's the the last thing that Brian will be expecting me to ask me about straight off the straight off the bat and I'm going to ask you about the Black Scorpion because oh, there was man. there was no well, well before you ask about the black scorpion <laughs> okay. I, I should preface this by saying that if you're gonna ask about the early days of WCW, there's a decent chance that I'm not gonna be the best person to ask. Because when we wrote the death of WCW, it was already Reynolds and I, and we actually split the writing duties. So, oh, okay. Which obviously you would do with a co with a co author, but I wrote, I'd have to have the book in front of me to find out the, the early stuff, but for sure, I think that he had everything from when they bought it, when Ted Turner bought it, right, through 1995, I believe. So he wrote the first part of the book. I wrote from 96 on, because 90, like for, from 1995 on... I mean, it was very easy for me because I started writing. I started Figure Four Weekly in 1995. It was June 12, 1995, was when I started Figure Four Weekly, and I basically from June 12, 1995 until today. Like, if it's WCW, if it's WWF, I watched everything. everything. Yeah, every single solitary thing. I wrote about it every week in the newsletter, so I have like thousands of pages of, of television reports and news reports and, and everything like that from 1995, and then like even through today, I don't write the newsletter anymore, but I do take like these copious notes for every show, which I have saved. I mean, I suppose I probably could do something with them, but I write them like I'm writing a TV report for the newsletter, even though they're not actually going into the newsletter. So I've written about everything from 1995 through to today. But pre-1995, I was not following World Championship Wrestling all that closely. I, I watched a little bit on and off. But really, I mean, from the beginning of my fandom through 95, I mostly was watching WWF. And when I started the newsletter in 95, that's when... I, I really got into watching all of the WCW shows and the Monday Night Wars and everything like that. But prior to that, I mean, I'll do my best, but I honestly am not the best person to ask about those things. Okay, well, the, the question I was going to ask about the Black Scorpion is there was a theory that Al Perez was meant to be the guy under the mask, but I'd heard that he was only supposed to come in for like one show as a Black Scorpion. There were several people that actually played the Black Scorpion. The actual end game for it was there wasn't an end game. There was literally no plan as to who the Black Scorpion was going to be. Is that how you understand it as well? I I assume <laughs> so. I mean, I I know of the Black Scorpion angle. I watched the Black Scorpion angle, but I mean, I wasn't invested in. Uh, I wasn't invested in all of the inside information from that period of time. I went back and, and you know, I, I learned as much as I could about a lot of the stuff, but, like, specific angles from probably 1990 through 1994, probably until Hogan arrived, 
I mean, I'm not the best guy to ask. I know that Al Perez was, you know, he he played uh, the Black Scorpion, I believe, like, once. And, I mean, I don't even know, like, what the plan was from day one and... and well, I don't think anyone did. <laughs> yeah, not my... I mean, I can't tell you any more than anybody else could. Okay, in that case, well, let's jump forward to Hogan coming in then in 1994, because that was a huge deal. I mean, the contract that he negotiated was was amazing. The amount of money he was going to make, the revenue from the pay-per-views and all the rest of it. Do you think that he was worth that deal in hindsight? Oh, my goodness, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, without question. Hogan... Obviously, the story was always that WCW had rated Hogan, but they had not rated Hogan. Hogan had left, and he was gone for quite a while from WWF. And it was the thing that we talked about on the book club. I think everybody is well aware of this. Vince, back in the day, I mean, he thought that Hogan's time had come and gone, thought that Randy Savage's time had come and gone, and... You know, obviously there were there were issues other than that with Hulk Hogan, but his idea was that, you know, Hogan, this or that, whatever, he can go, who cares? You know, I'm my new generation, the Hogan's, the steroid trials had tainted Hogan. So in his mind, it was, this guy's time had come and gone. And the reality was, and he might have been right in terms of WWF. I mean, in WWF, yes, his time might have come and gone. But when World Champions Wrestling brought in Hulk Hogan, I mean, they had an explosion in business. Hulk Hogan coming to World Championship Wrestling. Hulk Hogan feuding with Ric Flair. I mean, people that remember when Ric Flair went to WWF in the uh, early 90s, the whole storyline, I mean, what everybody wanted to see was NWA champion Ric Flair versus WWF champion Hulk Hogan. But in Vince's mind, he had always, I shouldn't say always, because they had done, you know, years back with his father, they would do WWF versus NWA champion versus championship matches. But, you know, once Vince took over, he had this idea that it was going to be just WWF is wrestling. There's no other promotions in the world. And you bring anybody in from anywhere else and you give them a new name and gimmick and everything like that. And... For a while, he kind of acknowledged that Ric Flair was a champion from another organization, but very quickly became, this guy's the fake world champion, he's got this fake belt, and they never even headlined a WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. They, they went across the loop in the house shows, and the house show matches between the two started to run out of steam, and what did he do? He does what he always does. Well, let's go with big dudes. Main event of WrestleMania, Hulk Hogan versus Sid... And Ric Flair will face Randy Savage, or whatever it was that year. So when Hogan went to World Championship Wrestling, I mean, they basically turned that into a big-time main event feud. Where Hulk, it's Hulk Hogan is coming in. He's, it's not like when Ric Flair came in, fake guy belt, whatever. This is Hulk Hogan. He is coming to World Championship Wrestling, and he is going to feud for the title with Ric Flair. And they did huge business because fans wanted to see that match. And, you know, as we talked about also on the book club, there were a lot of fans that were Hulkamaniacs. They were seven, eight, nine year old Hulkamaniacs in the 80s. And they outgrew wrestling, as virtually everybody did in the early 90s because it sucked. And all of a sudden, they're older, and here's Hulk Hogan on their television. And then next thing you know, here's. The Macho Man Randy Savage on their television and Roddy Piper's on all of these 80 stars. It was it was their nostalgia from their childhood. And so for several years it was fresh again. Even though in Vince's mind, and maybe in WWE, Hogan had passed his peak. Do you think that Hogan was a little bit too loyal loyal to a fault, you might say? Especially when you think about the fact that Ed Leslie main evented Starcade 94. You know, it was the Butcher versus Hulk Hogan. And for younger fans, that's obviously not the Butcher as in the Butcher and the Blade. It was Ed Leslie playing the Butcher. Do you think that Hogan, you know, obviously, more so, I suppose, an impact when, when Hogan came in there, it was about getting his buddies a job, wasn't it? 
yeah, I mean, obviously he's loyal to his friends, and you could see when he came to World Championship Wrestling, all of the different friends of Hogan that ended up being signed by the company. And, you know, Hogan had a vested interest in the success of World Championship Wrestling because he was getting a large percentage of the pay-per-views that he headlined. So it wasn't so much that, well, you know, I'm making all my money, I'm going to get all my friends' jobs. I mean, there had to have been a part of Hogan that thought, me and the butcher, it's going to do some business. It wasn't like, you know, he just figured I'll get my friends a big payout and I'm already getting my big payout, so it doesn't matter. I mean, there was obviously a part of that loyalty as well because he got them jobs. But there had to have been a part of Hogan that thought that him and Leslie would draw because he was getting a big cut of all of those pay-per-views. If he thought that that pay-per-view would have died with the butcher, I mean, he wouldn't have feuded with the butcher. I think he felt, I'm hot. Anybody I step in the ring with in a pay-per-view, do some sort of cartoonish 80s angle, it's going to draw. And to a degree, early on, it did. I mean, it wasn't like the the butcher pay-per-view was a, a complete financial disaster. I mean, he, for a long time, it was true that everything that Hogan touched it didn't all turn to gold, but a lot of it turned to gold. Mm -hmm. And yep. he did have a vested interest in the success of World Championship Wrestling, particularly early on. Do you think that he had to be the third man? Obviously, Sting, there was a story that Sting was perhaps a backup if Hogan didn't want to turn heel. I suppose it could have worked with Sting, with Sting sort of being Mr. WCW, the one guy that never left. If he was joining up with these outsiders, it could have worked. But really, it had to be Hogan, didn't it, for that, for that angle to work as well as it did? That's a question that we can't answer. I know it's a, it's a hypothetical, isn't it? But but what I would what I would say is this: that angle was pretty hot just from the very beginning, because you had you had Hall and Nash coming in, and they, as close to the legal line as possible, they pushed that as an invasion angle. WWF is invading WCW. And they had to be careful, and there were lawsuits, but fans were super into the idea of an invasion angle. And I feel like if Sting would have been the third man, for example, I feel like it would have been big because the momentum... Actually, Sting wouldn't even have been a good choice because the whole idea was it was an invasion well, yeah, absolutely. of former... Yeah. A former WWF guys. So I'd have to look at the whole roster. I mean, there were a million... W I mean, it could have been Luger. I mean, there were a million WWF guys there, but whoever that third guy would have been, if it had been a WWF guy, I feel like there was enough interest in the storyline that it still would have been fairly hot. Okay? Now, the two things that make a big difference are, number one, it was Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan turning heel and aligning himself with these guys. I mean, there was no better person than Hulk Hogan. I will say that. There was nobody that would have been a better choice than Hulk Hogan. The other thing is that because it was Hulk Hogan, the Outsiders were able to run roughshod over World Championship Wrestling for a long time. And when you're doing an invasion angle, as we learned when... WWF screwed it up royally. The invaders, they've got to get the heat in order for the home team to make the comeback. So in order for the NWO angle to work, they had to get heat. And they got heat because Hogan turned, and Hogan is top heel in charge of his storylines. I mean, they got heat. If it had not been Hogan, how much heat do you think these heels would have gotten before Hogan came in as the conquering babyface and crushed them? I mean, this NWO thing, God only knows, it may have lasted three months, six months. Hogan being there is what gave it its legs for the first couple years, actually. And then after that, of course, you know, WCW never got their big win. They were never perceived as winners. Uh, the whole company was perceived as a losing company. The rest is history. But Hogan's Hogan being in the NWO... The value was probably more in letting the NWO run roughshod for a while, which exploded the company, 
until it collapsed. And Sting obviously was going to be the guy that was going to save the company for World Championship Wrestling. But had had Hogan not been that guy, had Hogan been the babyface fighting the NWO, I don't think this would have had legs. Plus, I think you also need Eric Bischoff. Did Eric Bischoff need to be part of that as well, do you think, for it to work as well as it did? I don't think you needed to add anybody besides those three. Those three guys, yeah. Because I mean, you could have maybe added a couple more down the road. But, I mean, one of the big problems with the NWO was they kept just adding people. And next thing you know, they're adding Vincent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of Scott Norton, but, you know, to the WCW fans, it's like Scott Norton's in the NWO and et cetera, et cetera. Totally watered down. And, you know, another thing to think about, by the way, and we, again, we'll never know. It's impossible to know. But if Hogan had not been the third man, and the NWO had had a hot run, maybe built more interest in Nitro, and then Hogan and WCW beat them and they were the victorious brand. If they hadn't had the giant high that they had and the subsequent giant collapse, who even knows if, I mean, they may still be on TV today. It's impossible to say. I mean, the reason they had such a gigantic collapse was because they had such a giant growth and then they screwed everything up with the NWO storyline. I mean, there were a lot of reasons, but, you know, WCW being an uncool brand because they never beat the NWO. I mean, that was part of the issue of fans deciding that the other brand is the cool brand. This is a brand of losers. WCW sucks. That's the storyline. So it's impossible to say, but if they had not had such a gigantic rise and a subsequent gigantic fall because of everything that happened... I mean, maybe if they'd just risen a little bit and got a little bit down and just been stable, they may not have been canceled in 2001. Who knows? They could be what Impact is today. No, absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, I think you know, 1996 was really where the ratings became a big thing because prior to 96, it was really more about house show attendance, wasn't it? So it's sort of hard to imagine now because so much nowadays is about the ratings it's hard to imagine a time when the ratings wasn't such a big thing. What was funny about it is... <sighs> ratings are a big deal today because the prime revenue generator <clears throat> is television. Television, yeah. So, like, you have bad ratings, you have a bad 18 to 49, what kind of deal are you going to get? You have great ratings, you have a great 18 to 49, you're going to get a great television deal. I mean, I, I put a I put a article up on my Twitter about a week ago. Somebody had sent me this article, and it was from 2002, and it was a giant article about how ratings are now revolving around the 18 to 49 demo, because of course there are a lot of people today that they hate AEW. They hate the idea that there is an AEW. They hate the idea that somebody is trying to fight WWE. Every excuse in the book and whenever we point out, here's our 18 to 49 numbers, they're great. Oh, well, no, whatever. They're talking about the 18 to 49 in the, in the 90s. I mean, uh, it was just total viewers. WWE kills them in total viewers. Well, that's because the 18 to 49 demo wasn't a thing during the Monday Night Wars. It became a thing in 2002. So, of course we weren't talking about 18 to 49 in the Monday Night Wars. During the Monday Night Wars, ratings just became a, a thing to look at to see which of these two head-to-head -head dueling brands was doing a better job attracting viewers. But the reality was, during that period, it was still... All about house show attendance, pay-per-view buys, all of the normal revenue generators for a professional wrestling company. And even at the peak of the Monday Night Wars, when everybody lived and died on these ratings, and Vince Russo was specifically hired to build up the ratings, if he would have built up the ratings, it didn't matter... If nobody was buying their pay-per-views, and nobody was going to house shows, and nobody was going to Nitro, and that is what happened. So, 
the ratings were something that people got obsessed with. And, I mean, it was great to brag about it. It was great to talk about your 88 weeks or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, it honestly did not matter. All of the things that mattered to keep a company in business, those were the things that mattered. And WCW, they were so obsessed with the wrong thing that you wake up one morning, you're $60 million in the hole. And when you've got a parent company that is restructuring, and they're looking at all the divisions here, if, if this had been 98, and they looked across all the divisions and, hey, this pro wrestling company, $125 million they grossed last year. I don't think they're being cut. But when you're going through to restructure and you've got this money pit that lost $60 million, it's like, man, this thing's got to go. And they lost $60 million because they were obsessed with a number that didn't matter. Yeah, that is a staggering number when you think about it. $60 million in one year, wasn't it? 60, between 60 and 80, 60 and 80 million. Yeah, that, is, that is crazy. Uh, when you think about how hot they were and how much money they were making in sort of 96, 97, and that collapse. I mean, they're, like you said, they had to make that amount of money to have that collapse, but it's just unbelievable how quickly it all went down. But uh, yeah, so... How much do you think, obviously, a lot of the talk now about the ratings is the fact that the WWE do very well with the over 50s. Is that guys that are still watching wrestling, that were watching it back in the Monday Night Wars? Is it the same audience? I mean, well, it's, it's an older audience, actually, because the average age of a WWE viewer is now 14. 13 or 14 years older than it was during the Monday Night Wars. So they have an even older audience. I, I think these were people that were watching during the Monday Night Wars, but if you look at the average age today, I mean, it's abundantly clear that the fans my age, a lot of them, they did not stick around. They're gone. And we're left with older fans. I mean, these may even have been fans that were big fans in the 80s that are still watching WWF nowadays. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a very old audience. I do believe it's the same fans because I cannot believe that they are creating any new fans. I don't mean like the actual number zero, but statistically they're making no new fans because the main show is three hours on a Monday night. Nobody who is not a wrestling fan discovers a show and all of a sudden they're devoting three hours of their time to it every Monday night. It's not going to happen. It's, it's a barrier of entry that's like impossible to overcome. Yeah, you'll have a couple, you'll have a, a, a trickle of people, but the numbers are declining so drastically that a, they better hope it's a small number of people that are that are becoming new fans because otherwise that drastic trickle is even worse so yeah i think it's all 80s fans some 90s fans but in general it's just a very old audience so we're coming up on 20 years yeah it's going to be 20 years in march that wcw went out of business does it feel like 20 years to you Feels like about a hundred years sometimes. <laughs> I got two kids. But I mean, twenty years ago, and 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 now, do you think it's fair to say that Raw each week is is starting to mirror some of the worst nitros we saw? Oh man, has I've it really gotten that bad? bad? I've seen Raws as bad as some bad nitros. The worst Nitros I ever saw are worse than the worst Raws that I've ever seen. But there's only a few. Raw is more boring. Like, even a really bad Nitro was still, like, exciting in some ways. Just because it was such a train wreck and such a disaster. But I saw some god-awful, all-timer, horrible editions of Nitro. And I've only seen a very small number of Raws that are even in the same universe as some of those. But, as far as, like, nonsensical booking, 
I mean, I still would give the edge to Vince Russo's WCW, but not by a lot. And it's sad to say that. I mean, a few years ago, I would never have said that WWF booking is, is in the same, or WWE booking is, is starting to enter Russo levels of, of incompetence. But since the fall of 2018, absolutely, we have seen Russo levels of incompetence on this Monday Night Raw and SmackDown show. So, yeah, we're, we're in that territory now. I mean, you often mention someone getting counted out in a false cut anywhere match as being one of the more preposterous things. I mean, do you have like a handful of the worst you know, finishes to matches or booking decisions that WCW made like a top five off the top of your head you can think of that's like as bad as I mean, dude, someone... we, had, we had DQs and no DQ matches. We had a count out in a false count anywhere match. I think that probably... That tops I think the, the list. count out in the false count anywhere match pretty much tops the list because a false count anywhere, okay? You could go to the moon and the <laughs> false should still count. And somehow there was a count out in a false count anywhere match. I'm pretty sure that one's never been topped. When Sid used to choke slam guys and they counted it as a win. And actually what was worse than that was when Sid would lose matches and they would count it as a win. I mean, that's way up there, but... WWE has not reached that level of incompetence. I've not yet seen. I did see a DQ in a Hell in a Cell match. Well, so yeah, that's there is be that. But I have not yet seen a count out in a false count anywhere match. But apparently, you can get counted out in a triple threat, according to NXT booking. I was hearing. According to uh, yeah, according to uh, NXT, yeah, they they had to spin the wheel. On their NXT Instagram page. What's going to be the finish of the three-way? And there were four options. One for each of the wrestlers. And the final option was count out. I was like, what? <laughs> they have a count out in a three-way. Apparently you can. I want to talk also about, about Goldberg. Because obviously with the documentary coming up. And, and you talked about it the other day with, with Dave on Observer Radio. And you know, Goldberg... I mean, Dave mentioned it. That you know, they started inflating the number and as soon as they started doing that was when people sort of started to sour on Goldberg a little bit there was like a a smattering would be a, a word I would use a smattering of booze and so they decided to beat him in that match with with Kevin Nash at Starcade 98 what was that when you think well it's, it's hard to say it's another hypothetical but was that was that worse than what they did with Sting and Hogan the year before. Which which was worse, do you think? Which had more which was a bigger detriment to the company? Was it Sting and Hogan and the finish of Stark well, in ninety seven? Or, or Goldberg, the year following. The year the year after that. When they when they did the Sting deal, I mean the Sting deal was a disaster, but I mean they still had a uh they still had six more well, let me think about this. I mean I think the bigger disaster has to be the finger point the finger poke of doom mm. but i mean they were both disasters i mean the sting disaster i mean that was a big time disaster but they still had months and months i mean they had, they had a string of 16 straight sellouts after the sting match i mean they they, they were still on fire through uh near the end of 98 so i mean once they did the finger poke of doom i mean that's when the first major collapse began then they brought in Russo, and the second major collapse began. And then they brought in Russo a third time, and he killed the place dead. So, I would say Finger Poke of Doom was a bigger disaster. But they were both giant disasters. I, I feel bad even ranking them. Yeah, it was one thing, it's one thing beating Goldberg, but at least, you know, that sort of, people can go, well, what, okay, what are you going to do next? And then that's what they did, and that, like you say, that's really what did it for them was 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 that booking decision. And then Russo coming in, and Ed Ferrara, of course, coming in in October of, of '99. Um, what happened with Ed Ferrara? Did he did he stay with WCW when Russo was brought back? I I don't hear much about Ed Ferrara and what happened with him because obviously he was there with Russo initially, but did he did he stay? I actually on? have no idea. I would have to go back and look. 
Yeah, because you mean, don't hear much about. Sorry, go on. Ferrara came in together, but for whatever reason, I mean, all of the heat always went on Russo. I think he was probably the more vocal of the two. I think he's probably the one that pitched the ideas. He was the one that had the real reputation as being just like completely incompetent in this booking thing. Ferrara just kind of was like, you know, he was there, he was a name there, but, you know, his, his name just kind of fizzled out. And I think one thing you'll, what we can say for Russo is at least when he came in, they put the belt on, on Brett, you know, that it was a ridiculous match with, with Benoit, that tournament final with a, a million run-ins, but... You know, Brett had the title. They were finally sort of doing something with Brett. You know, he had the big angle with Goldberg, where he wore the was it the um, the gold plate or whatever it was under his under his vest. That was a great segment, and that was a that was probably the hottest that Brett had been, which is not hard because he'd been booked terribly up until that point. Then he suffers a concussion. I mean, it was really really bad timing because it, it finally felt like Brett was getting somewhere, I mean, albeit you know it was under Russo's booking, which was largely terrible but do you think it's fair to give Russo a little bit of credit for for how Brett got over in 99 no because <laughs> Brett was coming off the Montreal screw job and he was so he was the hottest wrestler in the world he went straight from being WWF champion he got screwed Everybody knew he got screwed. So basically, the one thing that Vince didn't want, which was WCW to hire away their champion, I mean, essentially they did because of the screw job. Everybody felt that Brett was a rightful champion. So WCW got Brett Hart coming off the Montreal screw job. I mean, anybody could have gotten Brett Hart over in WCW. And quite frankly, at the level that he got over, I mean, it really wasn't that impressive. I mean, he came in, and they did a screw job, rip-off gimmick at, at Starcade, which helped kill the whole Sting-Hulk Hogan match. And then he had the great match with Flair, and then they took him off television. So I, I, I cannot say that Russo did a great job with, with Bret Hart. I mean, there was, I mean, the spear with the metal plate underneath the jersey I mean that was a good angle but my daughter could come up with a good angle for Bret Hart coming off yeah. Montreal I mean this is this is hardly high praise that you came up with one good idea for Bret Hart I mean you can ask Bret Hart what he thought about the way they used him in world championship wrestling and he's not going to give Vince Russo any credit for creativity or anything like that well, no, I think the, the plate idea was even his idea to begin with. And I think everyone... I'm sure it was. And everyone tried to convince Goldberg that it would, it would make him look stupid. And, and Goldberg almost didn't go through with it, but thankfully he did. But, uh, I mean, Goldberg, that was one problem with Goldberg, is he had so many people in his ear. We, we kind of talked about this on the in the book club chat, but, you know, Goldberg, you know, he was so easily led by people, wasn't he? I mean, he it, it's so many people in his ear. and I suppose it was hard to know who to trust. Um, and well, he didn't know who he was. I mean, he no. was. He was green. He came in. They came up with an idea for the streak. All of a sudden, he's being unbeaten, and everybody. I shouldn't say everybody. That would not be fair. Many people wanted to take down Goldberg. Many people wanted to be the person to break the streak. Many people were threatened by how over the guy was getting. I mean, one of the most amazing things about World Championship Wrestling was how long it took to actually beat the guy. As dumb as it was to do the finger poke, or not the finger poke, the, the cattle prod, which was before the finger poke. Again. As dumb as it was to do that when they did it. I mean, the fact that it took that long to do it is kind of amazing if you follow this company. It's like a miracle. So, he was... I thought that he was a Hall of Famer. Based on his WCW run and his second run in WWE. He was one of the only things that got over in the dirt worst bottom of the barrel nitros I would watch. You would have the most horrific show, fans dead as a doornail. 
That guy's music hits. We have five minutes. They're at the peak of the Monday Night Wars, and it's back to normal again. He was special. And it's baffling how, you know, WWE, everything they did wrong with Goldberg the first time around when he came in in 2000 and 2003 to 2004, they then did right when he came in in 2016. When, when he came in in 2016, had the, the Lesnar match, they got it absolutely right. It's, it's amazing how wrong they got it the first time around. But now I suppose that's... Well... That's the way it always goes with guys who were who were stars elsewhere. Vince won't allow them to be stars under his watch, will he? The thing you have to remember about Goldberg's second run is originally when Goldberg came in for his second run, he was not going to win at Survivor Series. I mean, originally no. they were going to bring him in and beat the guy. But he came in... And the fans went crazy for him. And they came, and Brock and Goldberg are friends. And they came up with this idea to do this storyline through WrestleMania. And the good news is Goldberg was going to do A, a limited number of dates, so you couldn't overexpose him on TV. He was only going to do a few matches. And it was like five months or whatever December, January, February, March. It's five months. So. It was a great run, but it was never like they called him up and said, we got this idea to go from here through WrestleMania. I mean, their idea was to bring him in and beat him. But it, it came in, they changed course. It was a great five-month period. He should have just retired after the Lesnar match at WrestleMania. But they talk him into coming back. And if you see what they've done since he's come back, it's like they beat him. Like, a lot. So... If he faces Roman Reigns again, you know Roman Reigns is going to beat him. So they've gotten a lot of credit for doing it right the second time. But if you actually look at what the original idea was, they, they really had not learned anything. But thankfully, they they somebody, I would guess Heyman had a hand in this and Lesnar and everybody. I mean, they had an idea and they did it the way to make it work. And uh, the rest is history. So do you think we're going to get Goldberg and Reigns at WrestleMania? Well, I don't think there's any chance that Goldberg is making a challenge to Roman Reigns and Roman Reigns basically accepting, and we don't get the match. Now, whether it's going to be the WrestleMania match, I don't know. They did want it to be the WrestleMania match last year, and it got changed at the last second. I, I think if they if they had their way, I'm pretty sure the WrestleMania match would be Roman Reigns and The Rock. But they kind of backed off the real heavy-handed... A Samoan Dynasty thing. So I'm thinking maybe it's not going to be The Rock. And if it's not The Rock, it may as well be Goldberg do the match you weren't able to do. I mean, he's got Kevin Owens, and then he's going to have Daniel Bryan. And, I mean, who else do you have for him? I've had people suggest Big E. And quite frankly, I mean, if you're looking for just a marquee match, Goldberg and Roman Reigns is going to be bigger than oh, Big absolutely. E and Roman yeah. Reigns. I mean, also with with the with the Rock, they they were one of full stadium, and, and I know they want to do that at WrestleMania. What they couldn't do last year, but who even knows where we'll be in March and April of next year? I mean, it's uh, it, it's um, I mean, we, we can all hope the pandemic's over, but I can't see it being over enough to fill that whole stadium. Well, the smartest guy that I follow on Twitter, as it regards COVID. Yu Yang Gu is his name, and he had a, he basically ran this, this, I can't remember exactly the name of it or anything like that, but basically what it did is he estimated how many deaths there would be at each successive month from, I don't know when he started, it was in the spring, and he had the best model of anybody. Like, if you look at every every other model that they had, uh, IHME or whatever, that had 400,000 people by November or whatever. You know, he had, like, virtually on the nose every single month. He had it exactly what it ended up being. And he says that now that the vaccine has been okayed here in the U.S., he believes that if you consider the number of people that likely have been affected, infected, the number of people that likely will be infected, 
and the number of people that will likely get the vaccine. He thinks that life will be largely back to normal between June and September of 2021. So, point of all of this is, not looking good for WrestleMania. <laughs> but we don't know. A lot can change. I'm not, I would expect a certain capacity, maybe 20%. Let's, to throw a number out there, maybe 20% capacity would be perhaps possible. But we don't even I know. Them, I could see them doing 20,000 people in an 80,000 seat building. I don't think that that is that's outside not beyond, the realm of possible no. or April. Back to, you know the other thing they can do? Yeah. I mean, it, it's not going to be it's, it's not going to be a situation where we go from a complete COVID disaster to like the next day everything is normal again. Like there's going to be progressive improvements leading towards when everybody opens everything up. So uh, this is not. Please don't someone listen to this and report it. I mean, this is absolute one hundred percent speculation. Well, if, bit, sorry, go they're on. not selling any tickets right now. Okay, so if come let's say March, let's say that March is is because they never promote much in advance. Let's say around March, things have improved drastically, and they haven't improved drastically enough that they're safe running a full stadium in March. But if we have a vaccine, if we have several vaccines and they're all being rolled out, and things are drastically improving, I don't think it's impossible that they could run a random backlash pay-per-view in April instead of WrestleMania. Some other pay-per-view, network only, or whatever, uh, in the Performance Center in April, and just say this year's WrestleMania is going to be in August, Full stadium, 80,000 tickets sold. It was different last year because last year nobody knew anything. Nobody knew anything. There was no vaccine. Things were escalating. Nobody had any idea when things would be back to normal. So last year, you couldn't say, well, we can't have this at WrestleMania, so we're going to delay WrestleMania to SummerSlam or to August. Because obviously if they'd done that, I mean, there still would have been a WrestleMania. But if there is a vaccine, if there are improvements, if things are turning around, if things are opening up, if the numbers are down, you could this year delay WrestleMania to August or, or even do it uh, Labor Day weekend and try mm. and screw with AEW. I do not put that out of the realm of possibility. Just finally, because obviously we're up against time here, but WCW was the last company to, to sort of put WBF into the number two position. Do you think there's any chance in the next five to ten years that we'll see WWE as number two again? Well, I think we ab absolutely could. I, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But the AEW show that aired yesterday, which for those of you listening, whatever you're listening, this would be December 9th. December 9th AEW show, their 18 to 49 number was just below the 18 to 49 number for Raw, the third hour. So we're at a point now where AEW, after a year, is approaching the third hour of Raw. Now, the Raw decline has stabilized, it appears. So, that's good for them. If their numbers were still dropping, I mean, we would see these 18-49 AW numbers starting to regularly beat the third hour of Raw. But this was this was not a record low third hour of Raw either, though. That's also important. So, AW had a good night. WWE had a bad night, but not a historically bad night. And they basically tied that third hour. That's after a year. So... Ten years? Three years? I mean, if you look at the decline of WWE year over year, it does not sound like that would be an impossibility. 
everything is impossible to predict because come July, August, September, AEW is going to be running full buildings. WWE is going to be running full buildings. How is that going to affect the audience? I mean, obviously, we lost a lot of fans because they are not going to watch shows in empty buildings. And when WWE did the Thunderdome, they did get some fans back. And AEW's put more people in the stands, about 1,000 people. They've got fans back. What's going to happen when they're touring nationally and having hot crowds? I don't know. We could see we could see AEW's ascent accelerate. Uh, we could see WWE accelerate in an ascent. We could see AEW overtake them. I don't know what the answer is going to be, but it is absolutely positively not impossible that WWE could be number two at some point in the next 10 years. Well, there's a lot of people who I, who, who I talk to who say that they think it would take a change of someone, the person running WWE, for it to to really turn around. Because as long as Vince is running it, they're not going to see any improvement. Do you, do you think that's a fair criticism? Because obviously you hear stories of Vince getting to the building, rewriting the show. You know, the show's written, but he comes along and rewrites it. It's no wonder the show makes no sense when you know he's making all these changes last minute. Do you think there's a chance that if, if it were, say, Paul Devec taking over from Vince, that's when we'll start to see a real turnaround in WWE? I, I don't know if we're going to see a turnaround. Because when NXT was doing one hour weekly on the WWE Network, I mean, I was all for Triple H taking over now and fixing this main roster. But as soon as they went head-to-head -head with AEW... It is a totally different show and not for the better. I mean, they're booking like WWE. And what good is it if Vince McMahon is gone and you bring in Paul Heyman, or I'm sorry, Paul Levesque, and Hunter's learned all of his pro wrestling booking from Vince. I mean, he's going to come in and he's going to book everything the same way. I mean, even even when, AEW, or when NXT was like the hot show on the WWE Network and everybody loved it. That was a period where everybody hated Roman Reigns. And they wanted to turn Roman Reigns heel, and they were sick of him in the main event. You know who was a 100% behind Roman Reigns just as much as Vince was? Triple H. He sees a lot of things the same, same way that way. Vince does. Yeah. And, and so, I, I, I mean, maybe he would walk in and everything would be totally different, but when I, I watch NXT on national television... Going head-to-head -head with AEW, I mean, dude, they got smashed on Wednesday night. Smashed. And the show is not what it used to be. I, I, I can't figure out half of the things that they book. It's nonsensical. I mean, I, I do not have the confidence I had two years ago about Triple H. But it's impossible to say what would happen if, if Vince were gone and somebody else took over. Yeah, it's definitely night and day between the NXT shows now compared to... I think even prior to it coming to the USA Network, if you look at the NXT shows that are on the WWE Network, they were so much better than what we're seeing now. By leaps and bounds. Yeah. Absolutely. Brian, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking to me. Is there anything you want to quickly plug here before we wrap up? Actually, I would like to say one more thing. Okay. I would like to say one more thing. It's about NXT, because I, I don't want to be too hard on, on Triple H, because I do have to say one thing, actually, that it is a gigantic advantage over Vince. Even though these shows have been nonsensical of late, and it's way more like the main roster, it is still a better show than <laughs> Raw and SmackDown most every week. And, and, if you look at the way that Triple H booked most of the talent compared to how Vince has booked him on the main roster, I would much rather have Triple H's hands. So well, you hit... I would like to say that. That I I do believe that he would do a much better job than Vince because I feel that like I mean look at all these guys. Look what you do with Keith Lee. I mean you could name every riddle, Keith Lee, Sami Zayn. You can just go through the entire roster. Hunter did a better job with every single one of them than Vince did on the main roster. So at least Hunter, this is this is the this is what I would really say is great about Hunter. He does recognize talent 
And it doesn't have to be cookie-cutter talent. Sami Zayn, totally different than Keith Lee. Matt Riddle, totally different than Adam Cole. But he saw every one of those people's individual talents, and he allowed them to shine. Vince has not done that. So as much as I'm, I have less faith in Hunter now than I did when they were on the WWE Network for an hour, I, I still think he would be a vast improvement over Vince. I do think it says a lot that a lot of guys now want to go... Well, not a lot of guys, but you've heard guys like Alistair Black actually want to go back to NXT. They look at how well Finn Balor has done since he went back yeah, to NXT. Let me, let me tell you something. If, if the money was the same, you would be hearing <laughs> probably most of them. And that says it all, really, doesn't it? That says sure it all. does to me. Brian, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Was like, is there anything you want to quickly plug before we wrap up here? Well, uh, check out Death of WCW, everybody. It's available Amazon.com. And if you are listening to this, and let's say that you're not a reader, there's an Audible version, which I narrated. And if you go to Audible or Amazon, you can get a free trial, a free trial of Audible. And if you get that free trial, you get to choose two books. One of them can be the Death of WCW audiobook. So head to Amazon or Audible, choose the Audible free trial, choose Death of WCW, 100% free, 16 hours of me reading you this book. I think it's 16 hours. It's and a it, long time. It is because I've listened to the whole yes. thing. <laughs> but I, I want to quickly say before we finish here as well, obviously prayers and thoughts with, with Jim Valley. Um, and uh, terrible news the setback he suffered and, and uh, he, he kicked out before and, and hopefully he'll kick out again so much love and, and well, I can tell everybody I can tell everybody that as of today December 10th the word I got today was Jim Valley has improved ah, so fantastic. that's great news I don't have a ton of details but uh, it is it is better today than it was yesterday and that's obviously what we're looking for is improvement. Even being stable would have been good news to me. But he has improved. So hopefully that improvement continues. And I still hope he may be home for Christmas. That's just fingers crossed. But uh, thank you thank you again, Brian. And, and uh, I'll talk to you again after a while. Talk to you again <laughs> after a while.